0: Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm Gian Lemmy. I'm joined by my co-host Chad Simpson and Jim Good. Hey, Gian. What's up, Gian? Hey, guys. Um, starting the March Madness interviews, Sherry Cole, Hall of Famer basketball coach, just needs no introductions. If you need an introduction, you can Google it yourself. Um, but this interview was so cool. She was so kind and we heard her speak about her new book, Rooted Rise on a different podcast, and I, I reached out to her and she was so kind to find some time to talk with me, um, just incredible person, incredible story. What do you guys uh, want to preview for this interview?
1: Well, Jean, like you said, prime time, uh, awesome interview. Uh, I love just her language as a basketball coach, her terminology, I was just drawn to that attraction right away. But she shares a story in maybe the first, maybe five, ten minutes, dealing with conflict. And she says, don't wrestle with pigs. And so I just, I'm not going to take the story away, but just tune into that. There's some great insight in that, so enjoy hearing that.
2: Yeah, it's special. It's special to hear the stories and the behind the scenes of some of these coaches that have risen into this uh, national limelight, you know, and to hear her faith in Christ and her heart for the Lord is is special. And uh, I think two things to highlight. I really liked hearing uh, from the author perspective on how she came up with the title for her book, Rooted to Rise. And I think there's a really powerful leadership lesson uh, just tucked in the title alone. And then just her journey from high school coach to Power 5 Oklahoma, um, that's that's a once-in-a-lifetime type of opportunity. And I thought that was uh, really unique as well, Gian.
0: Yeah, that was almost like um, Brad Stevens going from Butler straight to the Boston Celtics, you know? Like, yeah. that's, you usually don't see that. You usually have to climb that ladder a little bit. But it goes to show that if you're excellent in the position that you, that you currently have and the opportunity arises that you can make that jump, if you're ready for it, then then you definitely can make that jump without having to go through the next steps. Um, but yeah, we don't want to waste any more time. We want to get to this interview with Sherry Cole right now. Sherry Cole, thank you so much for coming on the Christian Coach Podcast. Such a blessing to have you here and thank you for taking the time to be here. But our first question is, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach?
3: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you today. And and thank you for what you do for so many through this service. Um, I think what it means to be a Christian coach is just whatever word you want to put on the end of Christian, Christian is who you are and who you are cannot help but permeate everything that you do. And so uh, I think for me, I figured out shortly after college that um, I went to a Christian college. And so Not everybody on campus is a Christian, but shortly after college, when I got into public school teaching, I realized that there were lots of kids who had zero knowledge of Jesus. It wasn't as if they had been exposed and were refusing or they didn't believe or they were fighting. faith. They just didn't know anything about it. And so it became very clear to me then that um, your life is a sermon and you have an opportunity every single day by how you handle situations how you handle stress, by how you deal with hard things, um, by how you sacrifice, by how you treat people, your kindness, your punctuality, all those things I think are manifestations of your faith. So it's the short answer to what does it mean to be a Christian coach is it's how you do the things you do and you do the
0: things you do with Jesus. That's a great answer. Love that. Let's go back to a young Sherry Cole. Um, Where did you grow up? Um, how was your family situation growing up and how did you decide to become a, a college coach or a coach nonetheless, because you coach in many divisions and many levels?
3: Um, I grew up in a small southern town in Oklahoma, a place called Hilton. It was an oil field town that um, was very small. One of those places where if you're in school, you do everything because there's not enough people to go around. So I played basketball and ran track and sang in the choir and started in school play and <laughs> led student student government and all that stuff because it's what you did everybody yeah. did everything um i grew up in a family my parents were divorced from the time i was very very small but um it was like strangely fantastic in the best way that it could be because they were fantastic to each other and we were they were both lived in the small town so they were at all of our events my brother and i and um my grandparents my mother's parents were uh there in the town as well so a lot of tight family right there and it was the kind of family where we had a bible in every room and um we went to church Sunday morning Sunday night and Wednesday night and if the roads were kind of icy and we didn't think it was safe to drive then we put on our boots and walk it was that (laughs) kind of uh family and that kind of town and so um from an early age I was raised with um uh A knowledge and understanding of Jesus as I grew, obviously that understanding grows. But then I graduated high school and went to Oklahoma Christian College and we had chapel every day at 10 o'clock. And, you know, you're in college and like, oh, I have to go to chapel. Who can sit in my chapel seat today? You know, it's like this kind of cool to be a drag thing, but secretly I would always just take the straw and sit in someone's chapel seat if they had too many absences because I liked it. I really liked it. And when I got out in the world, I figured out man what i give for 10 o'clock chapel every day go sit down hear some thoughts say a couple of prayers sing a couple of songs of praise the day just would go better you know yep, um yep. what a blessing that we didn't even realize uh, really at the time so that's a little bit of um
0: my background yeah some people you know get paid to take other people's sat tests you are just happy <laughs> to take other people's seats in chapel that's great if-
3: just go sit in my husband, the baseball player's <laughs> chapel seat because he didn't want to go. And I did. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think as as a young, uh, I went to Liberty as an as an athlete as well. Okay. And I did feel a little bit of that drag of, man, three times a week. We have to sit here for an hour and listen. And now that I don't have that structure, I can still go attend, But when I'm not forced to, I almost miss it because I feel like people are pouring into me consistently, you know, and so it, it, then I had to develop the habit myself to go seek the word, to go search for sermons and and videos and and those things. Um, but that's that's a great upbringing. You you started coaching right after college, is that correct?
3: Yes. Immediately, yeah. So yeah.
0: tell us. So you graduated from Oklahoma Christian. Then how did you become a coach?
3: Well, I was that weird kid that went to campus, at Oklahoma Christian, walked on the first day, and said walked onto campus the first day and said, I want to be a teacher and a coach. I want to coach high school English. And I want to coach basketball. And I want to teach high school English, and coach yeah. basketball. And so um, they said, well, here's a course catalog, figure out which classes you need to take. Cause back then they, people didn't, you know, advisors didn't say, here are your classes. Yeah. They said, threw me this giant book and said, figure it out. And so I did. And four years later, I walked away with a piece of paper that said I could do that. And I got a job at Edmond Memorial High School where I taught senior English. I taught five hours of English without a planning period, which I think is illegal now, but I didn't care. Um, I was assistant basketball coach and assistant volleyball coach. I knew nothing about volleyball, so I would clap and say bump, set, hit, because that's all I knew to say. But I literally thought I had died and gone to heaven. It was so much fun. It was a great, uh, great opportunity. There's so many um, Hall of Fame level coaches uh, of other sports at the school at that time. They were very seasoned and uh, highly successful and wonderful, kind people. I learned a lot uh, about how to be a coach by just paying attention to the little crumbs
0: they dropped every single day. Yeah. What do you have any memories of that time and maybe one or two lessons that you mind sharing with us?
3: Oh, yeah, I have lots of great memories from that time. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. It's a true story. Um I was getting my, uh, I'll do the short version of it. I was getting my toilet sheets out of the uh, uh, main office one day and the boys basketball coach was whistling, came down the hall. He's always, his whistle got there before he did. Rolls his sheets up, bonks me on the head and says, don't wrestle with the pigs. And I went, okay. And then he went down his hallway to go teach his class. And I was, there were only two women, uh, two females on the entire athletic department roster at that time. And the head volleyball coach was the other female. She taught at a different school. So I was the only female at the high school all day long with all these male coaches. And so I was fresh out of college, the only chick. And so I was like the brunt of a bunch of jokes. They punked me all the time, right? right. So I knew something that was going on. So I go along all day and I'm looking for pigs, looking for pigs. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I get to basketball hour and I'm sweeping the floor and I hear coach D's whistle. And I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm gonna figure out who the pigs are. And he comes through and... um just says, Hey Cole, how you doing? And goes on. And it becomes clear that I'm not going to know when they're coming, where they're coming from or why they're coming, but they're coming. <laughs> Several months later, after practice, I was putting the balls away and a disgruntled parent came in and just attacked. And I was like, wait, I'm the assistant. I don't make, the, <laughs> I don't make the decisions. Not my program. We, we can call the head coach <laughs> if you want to. Didn't matter. The guy was just relentless and he just went crazy on me for a little while. And when he left, I thought, Oh, I got to get out of here and get to my car because I was going to have a you know meltdown and start bawling. And I thought the way to get to my car is down this hallway and I have to pass coach D's office and he's always in there. And I don't want him to see me cry because I'm the only chick on the staff. Yeah. Right. So I'm rushing by his office and I hear his chair squeak and he turns around and he says, Hey Cole. And I'm like, Oh, so I kind of back up into the office door and he says, have you been wrestling with the pigs? And I went, Um, yeah, coach, I think I have. And he said, I want you to hear something and I'll ever want you to forget it. Don't wrestle with the pigs because you'll both get dirty and they will like it. And I went out to my car and I still cried, but not as hard. And I understood that day what coach D was teaching me that there will always be situations and people and, and negative circumstances that you don't have anything to do with and you can't change. You, You don't have that power. So you have a choice, though, of whether to go in the spiral of negativity with them or to let other things take up the space within your head. And and it, that I have that a friend stitched that on a pillow. I have it on my a shelf in my living room to this day. And it permeated my entire coaching career because uh, learning how to balance those things that you cannot control is a big part of staying healthy and finding a way to be successful within the profession.
0: Yeah, that's that's so true. I think sometimes we hear the coach, the, the parents yelling at at the coaches, and we think that it's the coach's fault. But it's usually it's something inside that parent, some insecurities, some 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 other issues that it has nothing to do with the coach. That's just the outlet, you know. Uh, Another my, thing I have, coach
3: told me along that line. I'm sorry, don't you no no go ahead. That <laughs> was I remember him saying to me later that um, that when a parent is upset that your job is to help them get through that moment because it's not really about anything other than them handling, whether it's frustration or sadness, or, um, if they're beating themselves up for maybe something they felt like they should have done and and all those things. And once you have children, you understand you have all those emotions. So he, his advice to, in any sort of altercation was to, to look toward the parent and to try to help that human with that difficult human moment and not make it be about you or the situation or anything else just help that human through that moment and i replayed that tape a number of times too
0: for sure now that's great the great tips for young coaches as well as a little older coaches that are going through this all these these problems together um let's go talk about your book rooted arise um before i start recording I, i told you it was a it was a great book and i and i love the short chapters, the short stories, the way you're writing works is phenomenal. I really, and it, now that you, you know, now that you said that you're, you're teaching English, you graduated with an English degree. That makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. but I, there's not many coaching books or r- books written by coaches with that kind of format. It's mostly like, this is how I coach. This is how I plan practice. This is how I manage my staff. Um, and I, and I really loved it. And I, I want to go behind the scenes a little bit. Why did you pick the title "Rooted to Rise"? And there's a theme of the redwoods. Um, can you go into that a little bit?
3: Yeah. Um, thank you for asking about that because it it came about in a sort of atypical way. I think I had these stories together and I thought they were a thing, but I didn't know what they were really. And I thought, you know, contacting publisher, hey, I think maybe this is a thing. I don't know. And through the process, one of the questions they asked me was. Um, are you married to the title? And I was like, because I had a working title. And I was like, no, I'm really not. And I'm actually kind of glad you asked me that because it's not exactly right. It's close to what I think it should be, but it's not exactly right. And so we began to have this very rich discussion that was part frustrating and part invigorating because I could feel the title out there, but I couldn't quite touch it. I didn't really know exactly where it was. And so she was asking me all kinds of uh, questions about the stories in the book and the the themes that I felt as the writer because sometimes they're different than what a reader might feel and you know we were having this conversation and I said to her well it's kind of like the redwood trees you know and she was like no I don't know what are you talking about and I said you know the redwood trees and she's like talk to me and I said well I told my team every year at the start of the season opening week team meetings we would talk about the redwood trees and how tall they stand and And how long they live and how close they are together and how they survive all these natural disasters. And you would think that the roots wrap around the very core of the earth, but they don't. They're very shallow. And the reason they live so long and stand so tall and and are so majestic is because they reach out and hold each other up. Their roots grow out and they entangle. And of course, I would tell that to my team in hopes that we would connect because the better connected we were, the more games we were going to win but also that I wanted them to have a framework for a fulfilling life after they were finished with their athletic endeavors and wrapping yourself around other people is how that happens. And so I tell her the story and the publisher says, your title's in there. And I said, okay. And she said, sleep on it. So I did. I woke up early the next morning, uh, divided, rearranged the stories of the book, divided them into the four parts of the redwood tree and um wrote the introduction and then called her back and together the two of us um just sort of wrestled and wrung a bunch of words together until we came up with Rooted to Rise and um I really do love it now at the moment I thought I don't know if it's exactly right but um as time went on I knew it was and um the little subtitle um Redwood legacies of life anchor- anchoring people is right too. Uh, and and by right I mean uh, aptly characterizes what's inside the book.
0: Yeah, Well, stood out to me I don't know does Oklahoma actually have redwoods?
3: Oh no, yeah, we'd it- love to. We'd <laughs> love. To. They won't grow here.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I it's we, way too hot. <laughs> we went to Stanford one time with the team, and that's where they were, you know. Yeah, and and that was majestic to see the those those trees is just unbelievable you can just look at them and see that there's history there you know they've oh, gone yeah. through so Some much
3: two thousand years i mean <laughs> yeah we can't even wrap our head around that
0: yeah um i always like to read the acknowledgement section of a book because it tells me <laughs> a little bit more about the process and the history of getting that together as well as the blurbs of the the people that you wanted to endorse it and i was just struck by the different people that gave you a little endorsement and so you have holly Rowe, which makes sense You basketball coach she's a reporter but then you have michael lombardi who worked in the nfl you know and then you have ryan hawk who is a podcaster and author um how did you and then brad stevens obviously you know i'm, I'm a celtics fan so i'm indebted to brad stevens but um how, how did you even meet these people? How do you connect with all of them? And and what what have you learned from just being around these other people? And even Kristen Chenoweth as well, an actress. Um, how, how did that happen? And what are the benefits of just surrounding yourself with people that maybe are not in your own circle?
3: I think that's the serendipitous gift of the life of a major college basketball coach. I mean, the one of the best things about being the coach at Oklahoma for 25 years was the platform that it provided me to meet crazy, interesting people. I mean, um, I, I, um, I got to know Sally Jenkins because her husband, Dan Jenkins, um, her husband, her father, excuse yeah. me, her father, Dan Jenkins lived in Fort Worth. We played at TCU <laughs> often. We had some donors who were friends with Dan and we had dinner with them. And and we became friends, and then through Dan, I got to know Sally, and so um, they're just opportunities. And I think the the common factor there is just to to try to be open and to continue to build connections. I um, I wrote Dan a thank you note after we had dinner, and he wrote me an email, and then I wrote him an email back, and then we stayed friends. You know, I, sort of the same with Ryan Hawk. Um, I met Michael Lombardi through a friend who is a football coach. Um, Michael knew about my career at Oklahoma because his boss, Al Davis, had been a fan of ours. Who knew? (laughs) Michael's telling me this, and I'm like, wait, what? The Al Davis? Like, what? Um, So Michael and I became fast friends, um, sharing our love of writing and of sports, and had some just really um, contextual conversations about philosophies and strategies and that sort of thing and then he introduced me to ryan because ryan had just written a book ryan was fantastic and then we became really fast friends and have widened our circle ryan and i actually share the same editor mary beth conley who uh did the editing for my book has edited ryan's so it's just and then i gave him the uh name of the uh cover designer from my book because he loved it so he's reached out to her so there's just this I think that that web of people who are being approachable and open and um, are sincere in their relationships, you just you create more. I I met Brad Stevens at a, a clinic Billy Donovan had in Florida, where Billy invited me to speak years ago, and I met Brad there, and we became friends. And then when he went to Boston, he would have a little invitation only coaches clinic, and he invited me there, and I'd follow up with an email and he'd respond and, you know, drop notes back and forth. And he's one of those people that is um, very real in his um, correspondence. All of those people on my, on my book testimonials are, they're the kind of people that uh, have done a lot of really, really amazing things in their life. And yet when you talk to them, it's like, they're your next door
0: neighbor, just
3: phenomenal human beings.
0: I think using Ryan Hawk's podcast title. They are all learning leaders. You know, I think they they no all they all want to get better constantly. And that is the I,
3: thread. You hit it right on the head. Curious and open and um, hungry, hungry to uh, just know more and yeah. to refine their thinking. And um, those are fantastic people to have in your network. Cause they fuel you, you know, yep. that those kinds of conversations just give you juice and make you better every day.
0: Yeah. One, one, one story from the book that really stood out to me was about Whitney Hand. Are you able to just share that a little bit with us? Uh, give it a sneak peek <laughs> into the book, um, please.
3: That was one of the longer ones.
0: Yeah, um, so that was.
3: <laughs> I won't go into the whole story, but I will just say this. Whit was this kid that um, everybody wanted every major college coach wanted Whitney Ham because she could shoot the mess out of it. I mean, she could shoot the mess out of it. She wasn't a great athlete. She wasn't fast, quick. Um, She did have great instincts. Um, So I can't say she wasn't a great athlete. She wasn't a great athlete in the conventional sense, perhaps. Um, But she understood the game. She saw things, had great instincts. And a good-sized kid, six foot, uh, almost six one just an unbelievable shooter though. That was the thing. And just came out of her hand like butter, you know, it was just like, wow. And um, we got to know her when she was fairly young, not young by today's standards of recruiting, but ninth grade and um, fell in love with her spirit. You talk about uh, a young athlete who loved Jesus and was not afraid to show it, to tell you, to say it, to live it. Um, She just had a beautiful heart and when we got her to come to Oklahoma, everybody was like, that's not even fair because we had Courtney Paris at the time. And they're like, Whitney Hand and Courtney Paris. Like, are you kidding me? And Whit comes in and she's phenomenal as a freshman in all the ways that you might imagine. But her career is just littered with injuries. And I have a dear friend who lost his starting post player this year, just a couple weeks ago to a season-ending ACL injury. And I said to him, I texted him and I said, uh, when I watched her fall, I, it felt like watching Whitney Hand fall because you're just like, you know, your temptation is to go, really, God? Like, why that one? Why that one? You know, yep. that's the temptation. But I think what we learned through it all is that watching Whitney Hand handle all of the adversity that she faced, the physical adversity that she faced throughout her college career Um that That was the essence of it, getting to watch yeah. her do that, and um her her impact and her example, um showing so many people uh, what faith really is and what resilience really is and what courage really is. But I think the seminal point of that story for me anyway, I don't know if this came across to to the reader or not, but is the fact that the way she lived and the way she was became contagious we she's our team is really good and we've got courtney who's maybe one of the best maybe the best post player to ever play the game fantastic kid and player and and we have this team of of these veterans and she's a freshman on this team she's our sharpshooter and you know a big part of what we do but she's a freshman yeah and we're playing in the what was the ford center at the time it's now paycom downtown oklahoma city where the thunder play but that's where our, our ncaa tournament game was And the gym is packed. The arena is packed. There's 25,000 people in there and um, we're playing and it's a a close game. And somewhere in the final, I don't know, four to six minutes of the game, Witt hits a three and the place erupts. And I remember almost like slow motion, like in a movie when they slow everything down, I could it was so loud, but yet. It wasn't that loud in yeah. my head. It was just like I was a, you know, I was just a voyeur getting to watch yeah. it all go on. And I remember looking around the arena and seeing people who were just absolutely covered in joy. And that's joy is a little different than happiness or getting yeah. us. They were celebrating because we were good. But there were people who were absolutely loving the moment that they were in. And I remember consciously thinking while the game is going on and this is happening. She spread her joy to all these people who are in this place just because of what she has and what's bubbling out of her. It's gotten all over everybody and we're all swept, swept up in it. And I think that was, and will be always her lasting legacy, at least in my mind of what she did for all of us who coached her, played with her and watched her play. Um, She had him inside her heart and she let him out and it was beautiful.
0: Yeah. Talk about the overflow of your heart. You know, um, one thing I, I, I forgot to ask earlier was. If I'm correct, you went from a high school coach to the coach of Oklahoma. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And if my research is correct, because I have some sources, I won't say the names out loud, but I have some <laughs> sources. You maybe this is besides the point, but you stayed in the same house that you lived is that correct? When you're a coach, the high school coach? Then? Today. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And when you became. So my first question is, what made you think you could go from a high school coach to a power five program? Because I think a lot of coaches and we, we have a lot of high school coaches that listen to this are like, oh, I need to be a high school coach. Then I need to be maybe a GA. And then maybe I need to be an assistant coach at a smaller program. Then a head coach a smaller program. And then I'll go to the power fives. What, what was the situation surrounding that transition and what made you believe in yourself that you could actually make that transition?
3: Well, that's funny because, um, the way you phrased that, I was asked that last spring in a speaking engagement and Q and a Q&A afterward, some man stood up and said, what made you think you could go from being a high school coach to being the coach <laughs> at Oklahoma? <laughs> and it was funny because I'd never been asked it quite that way before. <laughs> and yet I really appreciated the question because it made me think about it. And, yeah. um, the honest answer is this, Hilton Oklahoma, made me think that I could do that. And here's what I mean by that. I told you earlier, we had to do everything. So I loved basketball and I spent a ton of time doing that. I didn't necessarily love show choir, but I had to do it anyway, because they needed people to do it. Yeah. And I hated running track, but I did it because my basketball coach was my track coach and he said that I should. Um, <laughs> you do things that you don't necessarily love and that you're not all that good at. I was not the best singer. I was not, I was the best basketball player, but not the best singer. And I had to figure out how to do hard things that didn't come so naturally. So when I left Hilton and went to college, I thought, there's nothing I can't do. I've already done everything. I mean, all this stuff, whatever we had, to, whatever had to be done, I did it. So there was this innate sense of confidence, which I, repeatedly say confidence is a gift that you give yourself no one can give it to you and thus no one can take it away but you get it by doing hard things it comes from demonstrated ability and so because I had done all this I felt like there was not anything that I couldn't figure out how to do and I think that that confidence is a keystone habit it's one of those things that affects absolutely everything that you attempt so that's what made me think that I could do it um I was in the right place at the right time doing the right things. And I always try to give each one of those the same amount of value. I was in the right place. I was in Norman, Oklahoma. The university of Oklahoma is in Norman, (laughs) Oklahoma. Okay. Um, I was a very goal oriented kid, but I had never set a goal to be a college coach. I just wanted to coach ball. I loved basketball. I wanted to impact young people, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily ever want to be a college coach because I want to have a family and I didn't want to be nomadic. I wanted my children to be able to grow up in a home and go to a school and have friends from the first grade all the way through that kind of experience that I had had. And so college coaching wasn't alluring to me because of that. I didn't want to hop around and do all that moving. So I was very, very happy being the head coach at Norman high school. We had a lot of talent. We had really good teams. So fantastic school system. So I was in, the right place. And it was the right time because it was the right before the explosion of women's basketball. So the salaries weren't (laughs) enormous. There weren't many platforms. My first year at the university of Oklahoma was the first year of the big 12 conference. We were guaranteed two televised games, one at home, one on the road. We all thought this is the most amazing thing in the history of ever. We're going to be on TV twice. Right. And, um, it was right. Connecticut had won their first championship and they hadn't quite exploded, which their locale being right next to ESPN and Bristol, all of that created this magical, perfect storm for the sport of women's basketball. I was just in the door before all that happened. Landscape changed after that, of course. Salaries became enormous. Your platforms are huge. You're, you're televised all the time, et cetera, et cetera. So, right place, right time. And then that third piece, doing the right thing, is important, too. I wasn't trying to get the job at the University of Oklahoma. I was trying to make Norman High School Girls Basketball the best high school girls basketball planet or program on the planet. That's the only place my focus was. And so I was kind of the poster child for this coach, high school coach who goes, you know, big time college. And as I'm asked about that through the years, I always tell young coaches that the best thing you can do... To get that next job that you think you want is to be absolutely and totally committed to the job that you have. There's a sincerity and a sense of um, goodness and attention to detail that comes from that that people will sniff out uh, when those opportunities come. Now, you know, if you're in um, Nowhere, USA, in this little bitty 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 town, and and you know, the University of Kentucky is probably not going to know about you, but that's where those first two things. Yeah. Uh, become important, right place, right time, doing the right thing. And I was very, very fortunate. And I, I was surrounded by a, uh, a senior women's administrator and a bunch of folks who uh, were determined to help me build a program. So I was very blessed.
0: That's great. My my parents always preached to me that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. You know, sure. it's like, oh, you got so lucky. Well, yeah, it may seem like that on the outside. <laughs> but <laughs>
3: and, yeah, hard work has a way of helping luck find you
0: yeah for sure. well, coach, thank you so much for for coming on. This was incredible i could I could go on for another hour and a half maybe. uh you might not enjoy that. I would, but um, this is incredible um how how can we be praying for you?
3: Um, you know, i my prayer request would would be um small part personal in that I make choices of how I use my time in the ways that can best glorify him um the other part would be i just think our educational systems whether it's public school private school um, um elementary junior high high school uh, higher ed it, it does i think our educational system needs prayer i think uh, it needs strong leadership i think it needs um faith uh, i i i think that there are um uh, i worry about that and so um My children are grown, but I have a grandbaby and I wonder what her educational process is going to look like. And um, education is the backbone of any society. We all know that. That's how we get better. That's how progress is made. And it's also how we lack of can tear each other down. And so um, just pray for the leadership in in educational systems across this country, regardless of level.
0: Sounds good. All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to talk with with Sherry and just listen more about her life and, and the adventures that, that you've taken her on and and how she's glorified you Lord with 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 her mission and, and decisions and, and platform. Lord I, I pray for all the educational uh system um, in America and, and everywhere else Lord that you you put people in leadership that value faith that value um the relationship with you, Lord, and, and we'll be able to start shaping the lives of young kids as they come through this system that um, you you be in the forefront of their minds and in the forefront of those who are leading these young kids. Lord, thank you again for this conversation and, and made this um, new stage of life for, for Coach Cole to to be more about you um, and to to continue to point others towards you, Father. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: That was uh, such a great interview. I I loved hearing from Coach Sherry Cole, um, just her heart, everything that she's done and all her leadership experiences. But I think she had just really great advice right at the end um, for any coach out there listening. It's pretty natural. We all have it within us. This thought of can I coach at the higher levels? Would I maybe make more money somewhere else? You know, and, and these these thoughts come and I think we really have to battle it, just like she said, and just really have that single minded focus. Right where you're planted, um, I think make make your current job your dream job. I think that mm-hmm. that advice was was just golden.
0: Jim, is Good this insight, something you check. see? Is this something you see in high school? Um, coaches that some are just overwhelmed by maybe potentially just moving on to college or another job, and and sometimes miss out on being effective in high school.
1: I do see that. You, you see a lot of the younger coaches have the big goals and the big dreams trying to get to the next job. And unfortunately, those are actually the ones that usually don't get there. Um, It's usually um, the ones that you said are, you know, their feet are planted right where they're at and they're excelling at the job they're at. And, And I love how, you know, Coach Cole shared, you know, just being at the right place, doing the right thing at the right time. So be excellent where you're at. And I I promise you, Coach, you you do have goals. You do have dreams of maybe moving. But uh, don't coach for that next job. Coach in the current job you're at with excellence. And God has ways of rewarding our dreams.
0: He really does. Yeah, that's awesome. Just so thankful for Coach Cole and and all her wisdom that she shared with us. And Coach, um, just keep tuned in because we got two more more interviews this month with some basketball leaders and uh, we just can't wait for you guys to listen to them as well and always remember the mission field is right where you're at